welcome to uh, the Judges Sunday School for Grace Presbyterian Church. My name's Justin Ellis, one of the ruling elders here. I know you all know that, but just for the sake of the video. But uh, we are covering this morning a, a well-known and exciting passage. Um, Unlike the last time, I'll just stick with my lesson. I won't also take somebody else's Sunday school lesson. But uh, um, but we will be covering the end of, of Samson's time as judge, uh, with, culminating with uh, Samson and Delilah, well-known story. Last week... Uh, as we were in Greece, the uh, marvels of modern technology, I was able to watch the Sunday school lesson and and watch the sermon um, and noted that Pastor David mentioned that uh, there were numerous bizarre events that were covered in uh, chapter, chapter 15, which was the text for last week, the the catching of foxes and the slaughtering of Philistines with the jawbone of a of an ass and well this week is a little bit more straightforward there still are some bizarre mo- moments but it's dominated by a fairly straightforward uh, story that uh, is familiar to to many people and may be experienced by many uh, but hopefully even though it is a well-known text hopefully I can highlight and point out some things from Scripture that uh, that are still useful to you and encouraging to your souls. So, uh, for our for our passage this this morning, we'll be covering three points. Number one, looking for love in all the wrong places. First in Gaza, and then in the Valley of Sorek, and then number two the deepest depths of a believer. And then finally, number three, the salvation of the Lord. Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us. We give you thanks that we can come together. And Father, we thank you that we have the freedoms to do that here. And we, Father, know that you give wisdom liberally, only if we ask. And so we ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom as we read and as we discuss this passage. We ask that your spirit would would be poured out upon us, that it might illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we might, Father, grow in our love for you and our faithfulness to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's begin by reading the text. We'll be reading Judges 16 in the Pew Bible. It's on page 215. Chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will, give, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. 
Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had many she had men lying in ambush in, in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with the, with the new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the, into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with many with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will lead me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in, her, in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know. That the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, or Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow, began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women. 
who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And, and Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's, and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Amen. So the story picks up, having uh, read chapter 15 last week, the story picks up with uh, Samson traveling to, uh, to Gaza, which is, a, uh, which is a Philistine, getting behind in my slides, which is a Philistine uh, village. And uh, recall last week, Samson ended, uh, or the passage ended with Samson crying out to the Lord in thirst and the Lord providing water out of a rock. So now as the story continues, we see uh, Samson is traveling to Gaza and uh, despite the, the reverence from the last scene, here he is with a prostitute. Um, it's the behavior of his ever-devolving life, which is very similar to what we've discussed with regard to, uh, to Israel throughout the book of, um, of Judges. And there's a, a pattern that emerges in the life of Samson uh, that we end up seeing a handful of times here, and that pattern is, one, Samson sees a woman. Two, he is seduced and then betrayed with a secret, and then three, he is bound or trapped, and then four, the Lord humiliates Samson's enemies and Israel's enemies, and then five, a summary is given, and we've, we've seen that pattern in the past, and we will continue to see, see that pattern as we go forward, and we'll discuss this uh, a little bit more in detail uh, later on, but uh, nevertheless, that brings us to the first point, looking for love in all the wrong places, part one. So Gaza, it's in enemy territory. Uh, there's a, I don't know if, if you all can see, but I think this is red here at the bottom, and just above, just above this, where you see Gezer and Moza, within that is Dan, that, that shaded area. I think it's gray. Is that right? No, green. Is it green? Green. Okay, well, the green is Dan. And that is where, uh, that is where Samson is from. He's a Danite. So why would he be down in enemy territory? Well, we're not quite sure. Um, but it doesn't seem that he's there to do the, do the Lord's bidding uh, as he's visiting a, a prostitute, which obviously we know is a, a term used to describe an immoral woman. So the picture that continues to emerge here for Samson is that he is a, an unconstrained and immoral man. Uh, he goes where he wants and he does what he wants. And... Uh, Certainly, you don't get the sense that Samson has any idea of gratitude for the gift that God has given him, any sense of stewardship for this great gift of strength 
that God has bestowed upon him. But, uh, but Samson's focus and preoccupation here provides a perfect opportunity for, uh, for the Gazites to lay a trap for him. And again, this is a pattern that we've, that we've seen before. So as uh, Samson McLovin is visiting his new friend, the Gazites are uh, plotting against him. And providentially, uh, it just so happens the Gazites seem to be fairly dense. Uh, they're not the greatest of tacticians or strategists. So while they could have taken the, uh, the advantage and, and uh, achieved the element of surprise here, they decide that they'll, uh, they'll be well-rested instead. Um, and I think Samson likes this game. You know, I think that is one of the pictures that you get uh, from reading the, the story of Samson. He enjoys pursuing pretty girls, especially if they're on the other side of the tracks. And, uh, and then once he's there, he likes to taunt the home team uh, to, to get the odds stacked against him so that he can then uh, use the great strength that he has to deliver himself uh, from, from his from his situation. Uh, he, he, he likes the high risk, high reward type of scenario. And it's, it reminds me of a story about Alexander the Great, who was known as a tremendous athlete uh, in ancient history. And one time someone said to him, why don't you run in the Olympics? Because you'd win. And he said, I will only run if the other opponents are kings. Because for him, he wouldn't gain anything from being in the Olympics. And I think that that's the same kind of mentality that Samson has here. He, he enjoys, you know, if it's easy, he, he wants to make it a little more challenging uh, for himself. So while the Gazites slept soundly, Samson takes the advantage of, of the element of surprise. Um, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he rips the two doorposts and the doors and all from the ground, and it says that he takes them to Hebron. And uh, having looked at the map, that's over 30 miles away. So I, I did a little research. I looked up doors on homedepot.com, and, you know, it looks like for a sturdy door, you might be able to find one that weighs 275 pounds or so, something along those lines. But then I ended up stumbling across a research paper that someone did specifically with regard to the doors that Samson pulled out of the ground. And this fellow must, he, he was a physicist. He must, he must be a physicist or, or a mathematician or something, but um, he weighed the density of cedar you know, per cubic inch and things of that nature and, and uh, did a calculation uh, of kind of known, known variables. And he came up with a factor of about 5,350 pounds, 5,350 pounds per door, which means about 10,700 pounds for both doors. And then you have to, you know, calculate or, well, I, I couldn't calculate it, but you figure not only did you need the strength to simply pick the doors up, but you needed the strength to rip them out of the ground. And then on top of that, you're going to do a marathon with, with nearly five tons on your back. Um, now, Pastor Gilbert, our text doesn't say it. Pastor Gilbert brought it up last week that, you know, that the text last week also did not say that the that the spirit of the Lord was upon him, but but clearly this is a supernatural work of God uh, that's going on here in Samson's life. This is this is otherworldly, um, but it continues the pattern that we've described before. 
so he puts himself in a corner, and then he's able to uh, to deliver. And and in reality, it's the Lord that delivers and humiliates his enemy and Israel's enemy. So then we move on to. Oh, sorry, I was supposed to show you that. Uh, so Gaza over here on the on the west, Hebron in the interior. It also, by the way. Well, there is in the in last weeks, but in in this week so far, yeah, I, I don't, no, I don't think he's, uh, no. Well, it would, yeah, it would be the humiliation of the enemies is is uh, you know what uh, what I think the the pattern is where. The Philistines have gathered together and they've conspired to surround and to trap and they're finally going to get their hands on Samson and he somehow outwits them. Uh, and in this case, by this you know very kind of supernatural yeah, act. So like I mentioned, uh, Hebron is the in, in the interior by the way, there's also a pretty significant rise in terrain here. So Hebron is up in the mountains. So not only does he do a marathon with five tons on his back, but he climbs a mountain in the process. So now we go to looking for love in all the wrong places, part two. Uh, so now he's back, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't show up here, but at the top of the graph there with the line, that's where the Valley of Sorok is. Uh, where Delilah is from. So, having played the spoiler in Gaza, Samson now moves on to the uh, to the interior, closer closer to home, and and now we're introduced to a new character, that of Delilah. And we are told that Delilah is a woman in the Valley of Sorak. It's noteworthy that uh, in the entire story of Samson, she is the only woman who's named. So Samson's mother was not named. Samson's wife earlier was not named. The, the prostitute that we just discussed was not named. And now we have Delilah. And uh, as careful Bible readers, this should get our attention. Um, this woman, I think the writer is clearly intending to let us know this woman is different. And, and her name, in, in a way, punctuates the story. It's as if the writer's been waiting to tell us about her. And he, you know, he says, the woman from uh, Sorak, whose name was Delilah. Delroth Davis has this to say about their relationship. He says, quote, Samson always loved a good time, and apparently so did Delilah. She started Samson on a new game called The Philistines Are Here. Actually, Delilah was playing her own game, but she needn't tell Samson that. And uh, with regard to this previous pattern we've discussed, we've already seen here with Delilah uh, as, we, as we get through the first couple of uh, verses of the story that uh, he's pursued a pretty girl and now he's moved on to step two where uh, he is attempting to seduce, but he's actually being seduced. And as it turns out, Delilah was seduced by the Philistine lords uh, for the sake of uh, 1,100 pieces of silver, which sounds like a lot of money to me. I don't, I, I don't know how much that would be. But, uh, and so now we move on to step three in this repeated pattern, which is binding Samson before the betrayal can be complete. And it's exactly what the Philistine lords sought from, from Delilah. They asked, 
how might we bind you? Um, Delilah goes right for the kill. She immediately begins to ask that question. And it's kind of interesting to note, we, we read about this idea of binding Samson from Samson himself last week. Samson is the one who told the Israelites, bind me with ropes. I think he said, he said it, but nevertheless, that's, that's how, it, how it happened, that the Israelites took Samson with ropes to the Philistines, and then that's when he you know, escaped and, and uh, defeated them. So you have to ask, where did the Philistines get this idea of binding him being the way to capture him? Uh, maybe, maybe he was betrayed by the Israelites. Nevertheless, just as before, Samson is ready for the game and he puts himself into the bind. Um, And just like before, when the odds are against him, he breaks free. Uh, But this time, it's going to end differently, as we all know. He he has met his match. So, uh, to the extent that Samson possesses strength, physical strength, Delilah possesses persuasiveness. And uh, as a result, Samson gets closer and closer to what the source of his strength is, what the secret is. He, he toys with, with this secret. He starts off by saying that it's seven bowstrings, not dried, and then new ropes. And then finally, he gets closest where he says it's weaving his hair into seven locks. I didn't know. I didn't know we had seven locks, but uh, apparently we do. Uh, and and obviously, Samson is uh, incredibly presumptuous, and uh, he 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 really is self dependent uh, because. Why you would keep coming back to a woman who has a bunch of dudes in her house waiting to capture you, I don't know. Uh, But that's what he continues to do. And, um, you know, at the very least, I think we can, I think one of the the many lessons for us to take from, from this passage that is certainly applicable in our day is the ruinous effects of of sin and sexual sin in particular. And we see Samson repeatedly toying with this. And it reminds me of the temptation cycle, as it was described back in our study of James last year. Uh, Again, Del Ralph Davis talks about that. He calls it the temptation cycle. But uh, just to quote uh, James here, from James chapter 1, 14 and 15, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I think you see that pattern, that temptation cycle uh, developing here in Samson's life. And he certainly fails to, to remember God's law uh, which we haven't seen a lot of signs of in in the previous parts of the Samson story, whether it's uh, Leviticus 18, which had just been delivered to the Israelites as they were taking the land. Uh, Leviticus 18.3, You shall not do as they do in the land of e- Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Uh, the Lord repeats himself numerous times throughout the law with regard to inappropriate sexual relationships and, by contrast, appropriate relationships that are implied. So what does, uh, what does Samson give up in order to satisfy his sexual desires? I think... You can say that uh, as we see this 
story continue here? He has allowed himself to be enslaved. He has made sin master over him. And in, in Samson's case, he quite literally is bound as a result of that sin. Each time he gets closer and closer until finally revealing the secret. And uh, we can see with this repeated request from Delilah, it's a, it's a war of attrition. This is, a, uh, this is an emotional siege operation on her part. We see in verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound. In verse 10, Please tell me how you might be bound. Verse 13, Tell me how you might be bound. We're told she did this, quote, day after day. She urged him. And that finally Samson's soul was vexed to death. So finally, Samson's defenses are breached. And then in verse 18, we see it says that finally, quote, he told her all his heart. So sinful, Samson's sinful desires have, uh, have conceived and they are about to bring forth death in his life. And it reminds me of that proverb from... Uh, 2528 that says a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And note the irony here uh, from verse 19. Samson shares his secret with Delilah, this great strong man, but yet she makes him sleep. She has become the master. And he is so um, confident in himself that despite the apparent commotion and the fact that he's been, uh, he's been, you know, ambushed numerous times in this woman's house, he sleeps soundly uh, throughout the process. It, it, he, he presumes upon the Lord. The Puritan Matthew Henry believes that, uh, that actually King Solomon in several of his Proverbs was inspired by the story of Samson. In particular, he highlights Proverbs 6.26, which says, For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. And then in Proverbs 7, verse 26, he says, For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. And certainly, as we consider that Solomon would have come many years after Samson, the, the Israelites would have known the story of Samson. When you, when you read, especially the, uh, the Proverbs that deal with, with sexual desires, it's easy to think of Samson. So now that uh, Delilah has betrayed Samson, and in some sense Samson has betrayed himself, this begins the great descent of Samson. that I, I, I'm calling the deepest depths of a believer. And we see the, uh, the earlier fun and games that have, that have been part of the story of Samson from the previous weeks that we've covered, the previous chapters from the book of Judges. They only help to emphasize the tragedy that's about to happen. As Del Ralph Davis notes, Quote, the tragedy is all the more tragic because of the entertainment that preceded it. And that in Scripture, quote, hilarity is the servant of solemnity. And there are numerous accounts throughout Scripture where you, where you see this. But, well, as they say, it's all fun and games until someone gets an eye poked out or two. Uh, that was a joke, by the way. 
here's where the story turns for Samson. And uh, and and this is, you know, I know I've mentioned this before in other Sunday school lessons that I've taught, but in the flying world, one of the one of the great tools for teaching and instructing are stories, and and stories of terrible events in particular. And I can think back through my flying career starting in pilot training where we were put in a room and someone pressed play on a video and you're hearing the audio or maybe watching the video or some recreation and you are witnessing people in their final moments of life and you you know you can see it happening and there's nothing you can do about it and it's um it's tr- it's traumatic and it leaves an indelible mark. And I, I remember distinct details from those stories. And then later on in my career, as I would fly, I might find myself in a situation that seemed to be somewhat similar, and I would remember those things and avoid the error that, uh, that had occurred in those stories that I had seen. And I... I think that's the point here. I think that that is part of the point that the writer of Judges in this this story is is hoping to press upon us, that that it is to create a sense of anguish as we as we read about Samson, where we hear he did not know the Lord left him. And, you know, that is one of the most, going back to the flying illustration, when you're watching someone and they don't know what's about to happen to them, they have no idea uh, just how impactful it is. And then to witness him as he's, as his eyes are gouged out. I think, uh, you know, for a, for an unbeliever, the thought of the Lord saying, depart from me, I never knew you, has to be the most horrific phrase. But for believers, who the Lord will not say that too thankfully, on this side, of heaven to be told that the Lord left you. Is terrible and awful. And while this is um, tragic in the life of Samson, you can't help but think of the Lord and how much worse it was for Christ on the cross. But nevertheless, Samson's humiliation begins now. He's, the, he's been the instrument of great humiliation uh, for the Lord against the Philistines throughout his career as a judge, and uh, now he is the one suffering the humiliation. And we see that his eyes are gouged out. We see this given a number of times as an example of humiliation in Scripture. Uh, it actually occurs in the rebellion of Korah from the uh, the wandering of the Israelites in the desert where they They say to Moses as they're complaining to him, they say, will you put out our eyes? Will you put put out the eyes of these men? We will not do as you've asked. And then we see, as we've recently studied in uh, Chronicles and Kings, King Zedekiah had to uh, witness his sons being slaughtered and then having his eyes plucked out. So it clearly is a uh, an ancient Near East form of humiliation and torture. Um, 
Now, from our New Testament understanding, maybe Samson's better off uh, for having his eyes plucked out, as Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, then tear it out. And certainly his eyes have been a source of uh, sin for him. Um, nevertheless, he continues, the, the humiliation continues for Samson. He's forced to grind at the mill in prison. He's basically treated like a mule. Um, however, despite this humiliation, we do see this one glimmer of hope. Uh, in verse 22, where it says, but the hair of his head began to grow again. And, you know, it's this one little tiny note that's given, and it reminds you of the way that our, our God often deals with his people and his enemies. One small stone from a shepherd boy or one elderly couple in their 90s, it is, it is part of the Lord's plan to find the most unlikeliest of means to save his people and to defy the wisdom of the world in the process. And then note the writer uh, seems to emphasize uh, that Samson's hair is beginning to grow despite his great failures and his sinfulness. He has not uh, earned this grace. <laughs> Nevertheless, the story continues. The Philistines gather, we're told, for, for a great, grand, what seems like a national celebration, and, and we are introduced to this new god, Dagon. We've, we've heard of Baal and Ashtra in the past, but now we're we're introduced to Dagon. And as we, uh, as we read about this, this full-throated pagan gala, uh, we shouldn't miss the continuation of the theme of stupidity as it relates to the Philistines throughout the Samson tale here. Uh, and, and this is most likely what the, what the Israelite listeners or readers would have picked up on uh, as they are... As, as the Philistines are having this party, uh, notice the, uh, the the Philistines' treatment of Dagon, the the non-god. They're excited to give him thanks and praise. They say, "Quote: Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand." And you know, as you read what their what their words are, it you, you might think you were listening to uh, a, a Grace Presbyterian. Presbyterian pastoral prayer or something um, if you were to change some of the words. Um, but other than the fact that they're worshiping a, an imaginary God, they display great orthodoxy in their, in their pagan worship. They, they, are, they seem to, to, to uh, express great loyalty and fidelity to him, in contrast to what we read about last week, where we had the Israelites not recognizing that the Lord was using Samson to deliver the enemies into uh, into their hands, to their shame. It, it and it, uh, you know, it. I'm. I was reminded as I was preparing this lesson of the number of times that especially as a family praying for the Lord to answer a prayer for something and then the Lord answering that prayer and not taking the time to stop and give thanks and praise. Um, you know, in, in this regard, they're, they're in their paganness, they, they can serve as an example to us. But, um, but again, it is... Consistent though, it's, it, it is starting to stack up consistent with the rest of the way that, that, uh, this Samson narrative is gone. And it's, uh, you know, the Philistines, you can't help but think that they're starting, you know, it's the same old, uh, Wiley Coyote to Roadrunner or, or Tom to Jerry where they have the great Israel, Israelite champion cornered. And, uh, and yet it, it, it just seems like it's stacking up for 
some type of hilarious embarrassment. Uh, and we got a glimpse of that, as, as I mentioned, with, the, with his hair beginning to grow. Um, now, the other part that I think we should think about as we're reading that passage, and, and you saw it earlier in, in the, the words of Delilah, where she was demanding of Samson his heart. And, 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 and the words that were used are similar to words that we've read about in Scripture before that the Lord uses with His people. Uh, the, the, the demand for our hearts and our affections. Um, but as we're, as we're hearing the faithfulness, quote-unquote, of the Philistines toward Dagon, there's also a sense in which it ought to bother us it ought to produce an anger of, of some kind in us. Uh, and what do I mean here? Well, if man's chief end is to, to glorify God, we believe that glorifying anything else, especially knowingly worshiping a false god, then doesn't it follow that you would be offended if someone else is worshipped the way God ought to be worshipped. And, and if our... Now, obviously, there's a way to, to handle that, uh, that anger, but I think it's the same... You know, it's the same thing we see where Goliath blasphemes the Lord and David is going to to serve his brothers, and and he's overcome with with anger. Who is this? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the Lord? And as a result, defying the Lord. So, nevertheless, uh, as we continue on here. The Philistines, they're obviously partying pretty hard. And uh, it says their hearts were merry. So they call out for Samson to be brought from prison. And uh, clearly that would be in order to heap more insults upon him uh, in his helpless state. Uh, so in their drunk, drunken stupor, they uh, they call out for this... Uh, blinded Israelite, this champion, previous champion, and they want to be entertained, uh, as it says. And it, it often, you know, even though this event occurs many years later, it reminds me, again, I, it may remind you of uh, King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel, with, where they're merry, having a good old time, and they bring out the, the instruments that had been used in worship in the worship of the living God, and they're mocking the Israelites and God's people and, and, and God. So they have him stand in between the temples. Could have been like that. <laughs> I told Jack I was going to use that. That was from uh, the Acropolis last week. Um, but uh, notice the irony here where it says that uh, the young man, a young boy, was leading Samson around. So here this former champion who went where he pleased is now being held by the hand by a little boy. And he, he is utterly dependent. In fact, the the, the definition that's given is related to being bound. So he, he is bound. So the But now the writer shift his, shifts his attention once again and, and shows us just how big this party is. It says all the, the lords of the Philistines are present. So anyone who was anyone in Philistine culture was at this party. And it says there were 3,000 men and women, even 
on the rooftop alone. And then we see, once again, the Lord intervening in the life of his people where Samson cries out to God. This is, just as the story last week, this is the, the climax of the, of the passage here for us. And notice that uh, Samson, he doesn't just call out to God, he calls out to Yahweh, to the Lord, the covenant God. He calls out to the God who keeps his promises. And I think we're meant to understand that when God's children cry out to him, he always hears them. Even in the pit of despair, in the house of Dagon, God hears his people. And note the content of Samson's prayer. He says, remember me and avenge my eyes. So recall when the Philistines make their entertaining pet, they are doing the same thing to the Lord, symbolically. When they mock Samson, they are mocking God and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as, uh, as Galatians says, God will not be mocked. So just as Samson escaped in the first scenario by tearing down the, uh, the Gaza doorposts, which are a symbol of, of defense and security, this time Samson bowed his strength against the two pillars, and we're told that he achieves the greatest victory that he had achieved throughout his ministry. And again, there are, as Pastor Gilbert mentioned last week, a man, a victory, a salvation, in this case the parallels with Christ, a man, a death, a victory, a salvation. So what are we to make of all this as the uh, as the story concludes. Well, Samson, am I am I really that late? I guess I better end. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, let me just say this real quick. Um, the Lord delivers His people. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time. We pray that you'd bless our worship this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.